anybody that's watching us now live on Facebook and LinkedIn, hello. Anybody that's watching this back through the YouTube or anywhere we share it, hello. And also into our podcast um, streams, which is very exciting. And it's absolutely right that we do stream this a lot because what we bring to you in these BIP chats are amazing experts. And let me tell you a little bit about why we do that. So first of all, you might be saying, what's BIP stand for? BIP stands for business is personal. And any client that we work with, we always make sure that they have values around that, which means they have diversity of skills, but the commonality of kindness. And they are really passionate about the impact that they have on their clients and their overall values. And when we find those people, we invite them into something called BIP 100 and we are creating quite a phenomenal community. So I'm now talking to you in October 21 and we have 74 of these amazing experts and we ask them if we can interview them and give you, the audience, support in various subjects. And the one today is one that none of us can ignore. And I can say that without exception. We all need to understand sales and we all need to make sure that our business grows through those skills. And today we're talking about the future of hybrid sales teams um, in what we are, I don't know how long we can say it, but this new era that we've gone into. So October 21, when you listen to this back a bit further on, we've come out now of the um, COVID lockdown period, but our businesses have had to adapt a lot and many, many ways the pivots have been exceptionally good. Now, a little bit personally here, I am very excited to be talking about sales because that has always been my career. In, in 1983, I joined an IT firm in telesales, worked my way through field sales into sales management and then became sales director of a, quite a large IT distributor. So even to this day, I love sales and not because I it is a formula or a process, it just helps me to meet amazing people and hopefully attract them towards us with our values. So two experts that we have here in front of us, Tim Robertson and Steve Saunders. And I'm gonna start off by introducing Tim. So Tim has worked in the corporate world for many, many years. He's gonna fill in all my gaps here. And um, he absolutely works with sales management, sales strategy, sales teams, um, around the way that you need to sell basically and business develop and has many qualifications one of which I do want to really dig into around neuroscience um, and Tim you've um, asked Steve Saunders who's also a BIP 100 member which is very exciting to join us can you just introduce Steve and, and, and a little bit of your background with Steve and, and why you've invited Steve? Sure, absolutely. And I'm sure Steve in a, in, a, in a second can fill in the gaps that I've missed out as well. Steve and I met probably, was it seven, eight years ago when we were working in, in a large telecommunications firm that we both were involved with um, in, in the sales arena. And, and uh, although I work really at the ground floor, Steve works at a lofty positions of strategy, which he does a lot these days. And, um, and we recently re-met actually after all that time. We have lots and lots of experiences together working with this large telco company um and and it was recently that we met because of BIP and we said my goodness me it's incredible that you're here but Steve is an incredible brain very much a strategist and I really want to invite him on to, to give a slightly different view to mine which is very much more around the the ground floor level and and the sort of the day-to-day -day stuff so right. Steve fill in a little bit of gap would you mind 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, be, beyond that, I mean, it, the, the work that we did together, Tim, was uh, I was I was fortunate enough to be invited in because of many years working in Salesforce transformation, go to market transformation, just the broader picture of how to accelerate ideas into the marketplace and and changing work uh, patterns and behaviors, you know, establishing better ways of working and, and uh, helping people and teams thrive in, in, that, in that sort of environment. So that, yes, that does touch the strategy. It touches the organization readiness and it goes down to individual uh, capabilities and readiness to thrive in, 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 different, uh, in different situations. So, so that was, uh, and, and since, uh, since we worked together, I, I, I gambled with my own startup for a while. I, I joined EY and led Global Pursuits um, and uh, their low, large go-to-market opportunities to accelerate adoption of key ideas. In, in the global market. And uh, for this last year, I've been working um, in my own uh, capacity, putting a portfolio together, working with clients. And it's, it's, really, it's really interesting. So, so um, BIP, it was, it was just awesome to reconnect with Tim, but also, as you said, Penny, the, the, uh, the great people that you've brought together in this community. It's, oh. it's, it's wonderful to be here. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> That's very lovely to hear that. So let, let's start, before I sort of really dive into the, the nitty gritty, what I'd love to understand, Tim, um, is we're assuming and going to hope that people who are listening in on this are very interested in the sales topic. And um, can you just give me an idea of when, when a client approaches you and says they want to work with you, so I know you're working with a large telco at the moment, what is sort of a day in the life of working with you? What is it you would do for them? Sure, absolutely. The first thing to explain that that um, probably a little bit like Steve, my my uh, focus is on large, complex sales. So large organisations are trying to sell to other large organisations where the situation is quite complex. So I run a lot of, uh, I facilitate a lot of training programmes. I also develop a lot of training programmes. So I'm work predominantly. Steve and I worked in. Oh, I've worked predominantly in the telco industry, but also my background means I'm now working with a um, with a, a company that produces equipment that, that sequence genomes as well. So I'm a toxicologist background, so we developed a clinical selling skills course. Um, but it's really understanding that, that what's successful about complex, if you like, B2B, business-to-business transactions, where there's often a, a myriad of different people you have to connect with and influence, and it's both the strategy of going around that and, 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 and showing people there's a common language where you can talk together and work as a team. That's one of the key things that, that I bring to it is collaboration. So we bring structure and process around collaboration, but also the skills. So how do you interact with a CEO or a CIO before you go in there? What kind of research do you have to do? And what's the best way to start that communication? And a lot of sales has changed over the years if you think about the old days of the pressurized salesperson and you know the ABCs always be closing, quite frankly, that is a load of rubbish these days. In fact, I think there was some research done that said the more you close on a complex B2B sale, more likely you are to be shoved out the door. Um, and it's much more subtle than that. Um, and then we've moved away, you know, moved up solution selling where you're providing a solution to somebody um, and they've got a series of, of problems or challenges. And the next step has been around insight selling, where you're showing your worth to a company or to an individual about their particular situation or knowledge about that as well. So it's it's moved on a lot. So um, the kind of deals that 
Steve and I were involved in range from, I don't know, 10,000. The largest one I've dealt with is 850 million. Um, so large corporate deal that we're trying to focus on to, to secure. And we were really great if we secured it by using different techniques, Penny. You know, sales is not about pushing somebody off, you know, trying to, you know, thumb screw a, in somebody into doing something, but far too much time, far too much time to think about, to consider other options. They've probably done their research, things have changed, that kind of stuff. So I normally get involved with, the, you know, helping them think through the process and also the skills. It's interesting that um, I remember one takeaway for me was the, how difficult it is for a company to differentiate in a defendable way, right? Something that's different about them that is sustainable, that is relevant and important and valuable to the customer, right? And, and it takes a long time and sometimes a lot of investment. And uh, working with teams, I remember the, that, that um, moment of enlightenment where they accepted that their professional sales behavior uh, was actually a differentiator. And it's quite defendable as well because you form relationships. And the closer you get towards this insight selling, which, which is, is, is about um, having an opinion, a point of view, that can potentially change or unsettle the, the, the predetermined behavior, buying practices and attitudes of the customer and make them think differently about their, their problems and how to maximize value from that. And, 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 and if we're doing that, if you combine that with the hybrid way of working, which we're talking about now as well, yeah. um, you know, forming that level of confidence and comfort to talk and engage is, is really important. And one of, the, one of the things we were just uh, had a previous comment about was, was the fact that when you're working over this link, I can have four books open just out of view of the camera. Um, whereas if I was to rustle through my briefcase to find that data in a face-to-face -face meeting, it would make me look as though I'm a, I'm a monkey. Yeah, that's a really but, good but point. Sitting online, you you can, if you, if you handle it properly, if you are at a human level connecting, and you can also have your information. So you, you're, you're, you're getting um, that you, you're deserving of that um, opportunity to challenge, to um, use insights and, and to do it in a respectful uh, and informative way. Yeah, I like that a lot. You could have so many post-it notes all around <laughs> you, couldn't you? No, it just looks as though you're thinking. And yeah, then, no, uh, absolutely. <laughs> I was sitting in my office, I'd turn the camera around, you can, <laughs> you can see some of mine. So, so that's a really good point you're making there, Steve. So, Because I'm really curious about how has this new world changed selling? Because, it, and is it for the good. So, so Tim, what, what, you, when you chose this title, Future of Hybrid Sales Teams, what was it, what was, what were you thinking of about that? I think over the last 18 months or so, and you mentioned the lockdown and getting out of lockdown, we've been forced into this situation working from home, haven't we? Because the majority of the world has not been allowed to go out. And that's been, a, for some people, a terrible frustration because they're used to going out and seeing people. But my view is actually, it's now actually become a slightly an opportunity as well to revisit, and I'm sure Steve will add to this, the strategy we employ with, with teams, our sales teams. There's the <clears throat> sales aspect and there's a the human aspect as well. What I've found through working with sales teams over the last year or so, coming out of this, and hopefully we're moving out of it, and you know, with vaccination programs, we're moving out of it, is there are lessons to be learned about working from home and using, as Steve says, you know, Steve brought up a really good point that working virtually means that I'm, you know, I'm 2,000, 3,000 miles away from you guys 
uh, and we're still having this conversation, we could do the same with customers. And as Steve said, we can have, um, you know, uh, prompts all around us about the key needs and key problems and challenges our customers have. But I, I, the reason, the real reason is, I think that companies, and Steve will probably support them, have to really think about how they're supporting people internally. Um, and I know, Steve, you in an earlier conversation talked about BT and the way they prepped you up for homeworking, because there are two things here, in my view. Yes, we can ask people to work from home, and some, some companies have now got home contracts, so you no longer go to an office. You actually work from home. Does that alter your mental state do you actually are you better off working this way you know are you are you giving everybody your best as opposed to going out and see them the second aspect is that people by nature you and i you know the three of us met the other the evening as in a in one of your big twos wonderful they are as well penny mm-hmm. um we got together it was just amazing to get together so we've got now a situation where we've got to have this hybrid Whereas before we, as you were a field salesperson originally, weren't you? Mm-hmm. So the thought of coming and sitting down here and, and looking at a screen and talking to people thought, no, 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 I don't want to do that. What we've learned though is it's much more efficient to do it this way. Yeah. And do you feel the relationship can still be because we all met online? We became you've trusted and joined Bit 100, both of you, by not meeting us. There was a, it's beautiful when you get the chance to meet. Do you feel that people need different skills to be able to build trust and relationships online than they did when they were able to sit in an office, shake hands, have a coffee? Do you feel it's a different way of building trust? And I'll, I'll pass over to Steve in a minute before you don't mind me, Steve, answering this one first before I, before I pass over to you. I think you do. I think you have to be very much more aware of the nuances of the behavior and what you're seeing in front of you. Because I do this day in, day out in the middle of, uh, you know, I've got nine people online waiting for me now, actually, after we finish this uh, session. You have to look at the behavior and you have to specifically realize that this is a two dimensional thing and you've got three dimensional uh, people. So the way you build rapport and relationship with people has to adapt to the situation. Now, I've known companies, and I'm working or have been working with a company that only works and sells major, major deals through this medium. They've never met anybody until they've contracted with them. And then you were talking of five, six million, 20 million deals they're working on. They could do it that way. And in fact, Steve, you said that when you were working with HP and set up a division for them, it started straight away hybrid back in, what was the date, 1999? I'd say, I'd say, I mean, hybrid for me all the way through, uh, literally. I'm, I worked for German uh, and Italian managers, and uh, we both worked for Swiss and, uh, and German partners. We worked with clients all around the world, and we, so it wasn't inherently uh, hybrid. What I, what I would say is the certain um, human characteristics that have been ever-present, that it's a truism to say that some people are better or worse at connecting and forming and showing genuine interest in others. Uh, what happens with this uh, change is that it becomes amplified. So if you'll care less about it, if you're careless about it, it becomes very obvious to people that you're 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 not really. Um, so so if I if I did or didn't attend the office in one of my companies, it might have been occasionally visible. 
Um, and I had to be careful to make sure, I had to be interested enough to make sure that I, I made a connection, that I respected the people that I was uh, working with and, 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 and showed an interest, <laughs> really. Um, being in the office uh, doesn't excuse you from that, but it does it kind of put you in a cocoon and creates the impression that because you're in the same room as somebody, that you're, that you're somehow connecting with them, and that isn't always the case. So I think what, what is happening here is um, this pressure cooker of COVID has made certain uh, long-term patterns much more visible. They've amplified them. And, and so people do need to tune in to the gaps in their capabilities, their self-awareness, how they communicate with people, how they connect with people, uh, rather than just thinking, well, I'm, we're going to go and sit in that office over there and shout each other down for 30 minutes yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and we'll have a good old meeting. Well, no, it was never a good old meeting. It was, you know, 80% of the people in that room never had a voice, for instance, you yeah. know, yeah. Uh, and, and, and therefore, you know, you, you do have, uh, as I said, a lot of amplification going on of these, these tendencies. I'd also go back to what was mentioned about large businesses. Since leaving EY, my, most of my work has been with startups. Um, because in this new way, way of working, it's a huge leveling opportunity um, because they are expected to behave with the professionalism and the global reach and the structure and methodologies that the big boys and girls are, are playing with. And, um, and if they don't know how to, they've got to learn because you know, you, you, the opportunity is there to participate in very advanced ecosystems and very large pieces of business. But you could lose out on that if you don't uh, emulate some of that professionalism. So now is a leveling opportunity that, that exists for the, those small businesses. And I'm finding that some of the future leaders in their markets are, are embracing that and taking that opportunity. Uh -huh, that's very good. That is really, that is interesting. And, and so in terms of the demands and requests made of you, um, if I start with Tim, since we've, what, when we went into lockdown in, in March 20. Yeah. And people started to lift their head and communicate and say, how are we going to deal with this? Yeah. What was a typical sort of pivot or need that a business was needing to go through? I, I think, um, and, and as you probably gathered, I run a lot of sort of workshops and both process workshops and skills workshops around sales. Excuse me. <clears throat> I think the key thing is that everybody was thrown into this environment 2020, March 2020, didn't know what to expect. So there's a lot of status quo static work of thinking, how do we work through this? What's going to happen? Um, there's uncertainty, there's volatility, um, you know, there's confusion, there's ambiguity, all those VUCA things they keep on talking about. Um, and it took six months before people really then began to say, well, everybody's at home. Well, it looks like people are going to be staying at home. So we need to put something in place. So my work was put on hold basically for six months until people began to realize that you can actually do stuff online. So I did some online. And now virtually some of the companies I'm talking to will only do online. Yeah. Um, and of course, we've had to adapt, you know, as, as facilitators of these workshops and as consultants we're now working a lot more like this and, and quite honestly for me it's a lot easier because there's less travel and what I'm hearing is that from the people I'm engaging with one lady I was talking to today based in Madrid um, no sorry Mumbai um, based in Mumbai, she spends three and a half hours 
in the morning, three and a half hours in the evening, commuting. Oh. So now she's at home. She's going, yes, I've got seven hours back. Amazing. <laughs> so that's the positive yeah. side. People have got more time. But also the negative side, I think, around, around that is you've got children. I mean, in the lockdown, you had children away from school. Yeah. So you want to work and look after the kids as well. And hopefully that's going to sort itself out. Yeah. But I think we do need a bit of variety in our lives as well to just get up sit at a desk and go back to bed we do need a bit of variety and, and see what something um that really intrigues me is um the brand representation aspect of this because you know god i remember when i was in the it industry remember remember the ibm at the time in the early 90s you know it was they even controlled you down to the suit and tie you wore you know the brand representation yeah, yeah. out there and now you know, some people are have not got ho homes ready well, for this. How how are companies coping with that? Well, then the answer, the answer to that is I don't I don't think necessarily it's being done consistently, which is maybe an opportunity for again differentiation. What we're talking about there is holistic impact of, of new ways of working. I mean, it is there's various things that I'm paying attention to because what happened initially, and there's this this sort of disaster mindset or instinct. That kicks in when something because we don't think ahead for disaster scenarios yeah you know, we don't actually know what's going to happen when a disaster lands so so what actually happened in my work environment was the people turned their attention to the instinctive reaction their customers would have which was to run for the woods and protect their cash flow so there was a lot of effort required to keep the customers doing what they were doing already and keep the cash coming into the business the cost focus for the customers reducing cost different forms of value and then suddenly they realize, hey, I'm a lot more available and my people are more available and my customers are more available. So actually, we can, we can do a lot more talking. Uh, and, and it was true to say that people that would often be on jets flying to Buenos Aires or, or India or somewhere were now stuck at home, stuck at home. But I could get a call with them at 24 hours notice. It was, it was fantastic for me. You know? And so we were a lot more agile and actually a lot better off, they realized. And then we get to this point of holistic impact where that sort of two hours commute through the London tube system to get to the office and two hours to get home, by which time you're supposed to be refreshed and happy for your children to have half an hour to read a story before they go to bed and bath them. And then that's it. It now translates into an extra four hours at home. And what are you doing with that? Yeah. What, are you, what is the company helping you to do with that? And are they paying attention properly to the holistic impact of this new opportunity, which includes helping people to understand their visual impact on the company's brand, because the company's responsible for that. You know, if their people are having customer calls from the kitchen with, with uh, fried eggs cooking in the background, or, uh, or, or do they have an environment like, like Tim's set up, albeit that it's just within camera range, which helps to professionalize the impression that's created for the company. Mentally and physically, how do your people feel, right? How are they feeling after 10 weeks in this situation, right? And can you maybe think of ways of helping to prop up their mental well-being and their physical well-being while they would have been on an underground train? And so is this a bad thing that they've now not, you know, they're, they're not putting that time in at the office or is it an opportunity to deal with the holistic impact of the business? And one of the businesses that I'm involved with is, is codifying the ideal way of working in different sales situations and delivery situations they're codifying that into into easy to use systems 
so that anybody who's involved in a given use case for the for the for the company they know exactly what they should be doing mm. now, isn't that obvious right mm. it's it's like a playbook or a cookbook that says actually in this situation this is what we'd like you to be sharing with the customer and we'd like you to follow this wow. customer journey but that wasn't done before you know mm. but now that we're in this situation they feel they recognize the obligation that exists for companies to think about that holistic impact yeah, that yeah, people absolutely. should be having on on the customers yeah, yeah that's I, I, that's very interesting and all that whole psychological safety element as well so so we've talked a little bit around obviously well some of it's the same and some of it's changed company responsibility our own personal responsibility if i get into some of the skills aspects of this um and i like the fact steve you've mentioned you know small businesses as well um, there's a commonality that we all use, and that is LinkedIn, right? Whether we're a small business or a, a big salesman, sales lady at a, at a corporate. Tell me, Tim, about that sort of the relationship you feel people are having with LinkedIn pre and post, but I imagine it's now. Absolutely. I, I, th I think um, people realise that there's this aspect of digital sales, including LinkedIn, yeah. around become much more important. Um, and I think people are going to realise the, the social selling aspect of things, and we'll come back to that word selling. Uh, LinkedIn is an amazing platform uh, for research, for getting contacts, all that kind of thing. But if I'm really honest, the majority of people don't know how to use it well. Yeah. Um, and they try and pitch far, far too early. You know, they'll connect with you, often sending out a, a, a blank connection to you. And then as soon as you accept it, they'll send a pitch message to you. you know, are you interested in, in doubling your revenue or something like that, which is not what we do in a networking event. If you think about what we'd actually do, because it's a networking site. Yep, yep. And it's a brilliant networking site. In a networking site, we wouldn't pitch. We wouldn't walk into a room and say, hey, my name's Tim. And I do this and I'm brilliant at that. People just turn around and look at you and avoid you. And that's what happens on LinkedIn sometimes. So it's about building that relationship. And it's, it's no different to when you, you know, introducing yourself and then getting to know people or picking up. You know, I might turn around to Steve and this is this is trying to say, my goodness, Steve, that's a beautiful background. Is that a virtual background? You know, that kind of thing you can do on LinkedIn as well. I noticed this about your profile, you know, to build that relationship, um, both on LinkedIn and, and also we're talking virtually here. And some of the, the skills element of it is still about the human nature of things. But people have lost a lot of the art of conversation, haven't they? And, yeah. you know, I remember Thomas saying, and anybody that's watching this is wondering why, how I've kicked Thomas out of here, he's had to go to a very last minute appointment. So it's usually Thomas and Penny on the sofa. But, you know, Thomas is, I said, I think about 20 years ago, conversations lead to transactions. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, so many people are just are really into this broadcast and automated way of being, haven't they? They have, absolutely. They, they think, um, and it goes down to whether it's quantity or quality, again. And the, the, the people who are really good at it are, good conversationalists and pick up nuances of things quite naturally so they, they'll look at things and they'll say oh that's an interesting topic but they'll do it genuinely yeah 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 
I mean, you get a LinkedIn message that said, Tim, look, uh, hi, 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 Tim, look at your profile. Looks like you're doing great things. Is that personal? No, 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 no. And I, I, every time I see that, I laugh. Yeah, mm, that's really been, so it's got to be personalised. And I think, Steve, you probably agree with this. Every new interaction has to be highly personalised. If we learn anything about that, it's got to really connect with that person mm. and really understand how you can have a conversation back to what Thomas was saying with that individual about something that they care about or they're interested yeah, in. Absolutely. Yeah, and I think we're all just impatient, aren't we? And it's just throw away, just throw away connections just to get to the one that finally comes in. As just, just having, just having a, the, a connection with another human being is a very special moment. If somebody opens your message or engages in a dialogue with you, that's actually really nice. Yeah. So doesn't it doesn't it make sense that you should be a bit curious about them and show that you're interested? Yeah. And in actual fact, I had this, Tom, uh, this conversation with Thomas earlier on about the fact that we become increasingly isolated in our thinking. You know, we we'll often sit at home and we'll think and think and think over a subject. So that by the time we have a conversation about it, we end up throwing our opinion at somebody else and then going quiet until they throw their opinion at us and then we'll throw another opinion back at them. Yeah. But the, the thing I love about Tim, for instance, and it's, it's in his nature, actually. Uh, and when actually, when I, what, I, what I really wanted to ask you, depending when we switched on the cameras earlier on, is to tell me about the photographs behind you, because I'm curious. Right? <laughs> that would probably tell me something about you and your Can family. Can you see them? I've just yeah. put them up high. Yeah, but, but honestly, that's maybe time for, maybe we can carry on with it. But I remember as a young salesperson, I had the chance to go into the chief finance officer's uh, room to help repair a printer. And I ended up talking to his, his uh, PA and looking in the guy's office and seeing these photographs around and, and picking up on what he was interested in. And by the time I got a chance to talk to the chap, I was actually really interested in his life, mm. right? And, and it only took five minutes to make that connection but it told me things about how to work with that person from that point yeah. onwards. And, and it's, an, it's human curiosity, I think, is what I always try to tell people. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I agree. If we look at Penny right now, if you notice one second, on one of her hands, she's got hearts. She's got hearts around her neck. <laughs> so, you know, picking up those small visual cues that, that the heart is really central to you. Yeah. And that comes up really around your personality as well, that love and that affection that you show. And that's the reason why we joined the joint oh. bit, because we feel like you're part, we're all part of this big family. And that is a real skill. Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say. I think what that gets to is the core of what really drives each one of us, no matter what we're selling. There is a core set of values that drive us. And, mm. and that's what we connect with as individuals, isn't it? And you know what you've shared there, Steve. I mean, my core value is to connect hearts and I connect hearts in business and that's what I want to achieve. Um, and so whatever you're selling, I mean, if I was selling photocopiers, if they still exist, I would still be connecting hearts, but I'm just happen to be selling this. But my values as I walk into a room with someone would still be exactly the same. Um, and I suppose that's what you're saying here, um, Steve, about when you get to know somebody, mm. you connect at a, at a much more important level. Can I come on to something that really does intrigue me? Um, I know you've done qualifications in neuroscience, Tim. Can you help me understand how that's applied in the sales environment? Sure, sure, sure. sure. 
Um, uh, and I'll invite um, Steve, because I'm, I'm sure you've got a view on this and, and as well. So neuroscience is the study of the workings of, the, if you like, the neurology of the brain. And what we know much more about by looking at uh, functional MRI images, in other words, what's happening with all the chemicals by the cameras, you know what an MRI is, it looks at the brain, but a functional one shows the actual workings of the brain, is actually, there are two things in sales. Firstly, People are motivated by fear more than they are than gain. That's a really interesting thing. So from a sales angle, sometimes that's quite difficult to figure out, well, how do I, I can't frighten. Do you remember the old IBM adage? I don't even remember that. But the fear, uncertainty, doubt was one of their sort of things. Create fear, uncertainty, doubt. Well, you have to do that really subtly. And what neuroscience says is that basically the center of us, right in the center of the brain, there's the amygdala, which is part of the... Um, part of the central limbic system, uh, which is in right in the center of the brain, and that reacts very, very quickly to emergencies. So risk is a bigger driver to people than actual gain. And what do we do as sales? We tell them how wonderful things will be. What we forget about is actually the thing that actually the brain wants to do is stay as it is. So if you're talking to somebody, if I was selling to you, Penny, yeah. my first thing is to actually make you do something to change what you're doing right now. Every sale is about change. So if I was, you were using, I don't know, perhaps you had a certain brand of clothing you liked. And, and so, and I was selling another brand of clothing. I might say, you know, go around that aspect of making you change your mind about that clothing. It, or, or wearing certain types of clothes or, or something like that. And we do this in corporate sales a lot. The biggest motivator, the biggest, sorry, the biggest competition to any sale is not competition, it's status quo. The brain wow. saying, stay as I am, stay as I am, stay as I am. Well, what we've got to do is stop that in the process by trying to get people to say, actually, it's not safe to stay as I am. Yeah, yeah. Particularly, where Steve and I both work a lot in, in, you know, this big thing that's happening in digital transformation, where if you're not doing or trying to transform your company or applying digital techniques, you're going to be left behind. You think about all the banks. Think about the way the banks have evolved over the last five years, 10 years. Um, I applied for a bank account about, I think it was about five years ago, and it, they said, well, we need this, we'll need this, we'll take about a month or two months to do. And eventually I got one, it was fine. Now you can get one with five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because of the new technologies. And so therefore the transformation has happened in there. So back to that neuroscience, if you think it's comfortable to stay as you are as a bank, boom, forget it. Yeah. You've got to have that transformation. So that's where the neuroscience, so it's the danger bit of this. But some of these things we know about already, about the rapport. Yeah. One of the fundamental things that, that um, sales teaches is that when we don't know somebody, for instance, if it was the first time that Steve and I had connected together, Steve might be saying to himself, who is this guy? Do I trust him? Is he, you know, is he all right? The danger. And what, as you get to know something, that's really important for, for salespeople, and they know it instinctively, you know it, Penny, you do, Steve, is that could, that judgment lowers as you get to know to somebody and say, no, he, he or she is okay, they're all right. And that's the brain relaxing 
that central limbic system going, you know, trying it to vary in people because I'm a, um, I assume everybody's wonderful until they're not. Some people assume everybody's an asshole until they're not. So is, that, is, that a, is that a psychometric? Is there a tool for that? That because I, I, you know, I think we're all very different. I and I am naturally a growth mindset person. I'm yes. naturally progressive. Um, you know, I know things in my life will be different again next year. Hopefully, not my working life, but you know, might be in a different house or life changes. Life yes. changes. So I imagine in you're almost trying to get to that progressive person always, really, aren't you? When you're or that progressive element of someone. Yeah, I think there are two things as well. It's either the old nature nurture debate as well that we we inherently, firstly, have got our own genetic and epigenetic mechanisms around ourselves, but we're a product also of our parents and our environment and everything else yeah. that makes us either a growth mindset or not. I'm very very lucky. My confidence is borne out by my parents being very supportive of me, whatever I've done throughout my life. You know, in, even when I failed at things. Yeah, so it enabled you to take risk. Yeah, yeah. I've taken bigger risk as an entrepreneur than, you know, that my parents did or other people or my brother did or my sister did. Uh, I'm very lucky. But I think, you know, it's back to the old debate. Are people made or, or that, you know, are they stay in their way? I think by and large, there are people who have a natural tendency to be yeah. cautious. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 Steve, mm. you've obviously got a, you've got a, a life story of working in corporates and supporting corporates, but you now um, also are supporting business leaders of their own companies, business owners. Mm -hmm. Do you see a, a difference in in that respect when people are, you know, if I was selling into a corporate as opposed to selling to an entrepreneur? Is it, do you feel there's a different? I, I think that there's an, there's an overriding human uh, pattern here, uh, uh, a couple of patterns. And just to add to what uh, Tim was uh, describing there, I think uh, what there's one, one thing I've observed is the tendency to overuse fear or threat without juxtaposing it with a really believable uh, best practice solution. Uh, because if you just do that, it takes about five to 10 minutes for the person to readjust back to their comfort zone. And then they'll never listen to your danger threat signal again, you know? So, so you have to really have it thought through. So you have to be um, thoughtful and not thoughtless about how you throw these pieces of information around. I'll go back to the LinkedIn message saying, surely you must be recruiting loads of uh, uh, pro programming staff in your job as independent management uh, consultant. And I'm sitting here thinking that was just, you know, okay, go, go away, please. Um, but the, so the other under underlying trait that I find that is common everywhere is the fact that whenever I've gone to uh, suggest to somebody that they should change from the way that they're doing things right now, actually what that is interpreted as is a critique. It is a, it's almost like a criticism of the way that they're doing it now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And people become defensive of that. Mm. All right. So, so you, what, what, what I was taught very early days, very good line management training at IBM and HP um, was that uh, you have to earn the right to offer criticism and people have to ask you for it. Actually, part of that process is that they say, so what do you think of my thesis? Could you help me pull it to pieces? And then they're receptive to taking on that suggestion. Right. Mm. And this all boils down to 
as a salesperson or as a human being, you know, you have to spend a little bit of time and you gain much more by asking questions than you do by going into tell mode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I have always declined product training courses as much as I possibly could, because I always explain to people my main value is that I'm obsessed with customers. I'm actually, I'm so curious about what's going on in their world and in their lives. I don't want to go in leading with the latest feature of whatever product it is or the yeah. product point or whatever. I don't also want to go in with pre-cooked sales pitches that say, you know, in your industry, this is happening. And if you don't do something about it, please, you know, it's know. a very deeply personal business is personal, right? It is and it's personal. a deeply and, personal you know, conversation that you're having. You know that what you're doing about your disaster recovery at the moment risks losing shareholder value in the next six to nine months if you don't do something differently about it is a criticism of that person's disaster recovery. So you better make damn stuff sure stuff. that you've established trust with that person before you Absolutely. do that, right? Yeah. Well, well I, there's nothing more annoying than unsolicited advice, is there? And I know, <laughs> Tim, you know, you come at a very human-centric, very heart thought process as well. Uh, and I, I love the way Steve's put that across. Um, what are your thoughts on that as we're coming yeah, to Yeah, I think I, I agree with, um, the Americans have this phrase, don't call the baby ugly. <laughs> which is exactly what steve's describing there you've got to yeah. be really careful that, that, that it's not implied as criticism because people will get defensive you know i've had people look at my website and said oh by the way you've got this problem this problem this problem this problem and steve and i both know of people who've gone into clients and done that and the client said go there's the door use it mm. but what what we have been finding out is using stories of other customers mm. a very useful way to show a hidden danger of a particular approach. So not directing the person in front of you. So that what we've heard from other customers is they've tried this, this, and this. This is what they found. Mm. So it's third party. It's nothing to do with what I'm saying about you. Absolutely. What you're trying to bring is the two together. So somebody Absolutely. like a parable can see that they're involved with it. So, oh, right, uh, yeah, that's very similar to me. Mm. But you're not directly criticizing. You're just saying this is what they found. Create something that's relatable. Yeah. I remember when I was bravely learning to do public speaking, we had, I don't know, four or 500 people in the room at the Academy in London every month. I'd never been a public speaker. Thomas used to be the front and then he yes. went off and did an Asia trip for five weeks and I did. And I got off and I think I did all right. You know, I was, I think I was quite humble and everything. And the first person that approached me was, I'm a speaker trainer. Would you like me to um, teach you how to speak? <laughs> And it was like, I don't ever, ever want to see you in my life again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. About picking the right moment. <laughs> <laughs> Am I that crap? <laughs> yeah, no. So, uh, yeah, pick the right moment. But that's, you know, that's down to our emotional intelligence. And ultimately, I feel that a lot of what we have talked about today is, yeah, we're living in a digital world. Yeah, we can automate everything. Yeah, we can be hands off. All these things, but we have to remember it's about people and the best way is to improve our emotional intelligence and and really plug into that. Um, it's been an amazing talk today. Before I sort of finish off, is there anything sort of left undone, either of you, that you feel that we should have got, a, got across to help our audience? No, just stay online afterwards and tell me about those photographs. No, don't joke. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, well, I would very gladly tell you about them. Thanks for the opportunity, Penny. It's really great to be oh, on. Oh, it's wonderful. Thank you, yeah, for, joining Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Somebody said to me, a brilliant man who was on Academy called Ronald Waperis, and he was in um, Holland. And he said to Thomas back in, to Thomas and I back in 2003, is the greatest thing that we're all going to be facing is an attention war. And the hardest thing is to get someone's attention. And I have had both your attention for 45 minutes. And anybody that's listened to us today has given us their attention. And so thank you very much, because to me, that's the greatest privilege. And um, I really appreciate it. And I think it's huge value in what you share. Thank you very much, gentlemen. I absolutely loved it. Thanks, Benny. Thank you. Goodbye.